Hello, and welcome to Let's Meet the Virologist, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines, people working to understand viruses and how they affect you. We are talking with students, postdocs, and other virologists so that you can learn who they are and what they do. I am Larissa Thackeray, and I'm hosting this podcast from America's Heartland in St. Louis, Missouri. On June 21st, 2022, we talked with Joanna Stuba-Solinska, an assistant professor at Auburn University. She received her first master's degree in Poland and a second master's and PhD at Northern Illinois University. Her postdoctoral training was at the National Institute of Health, National Cancer Institute. Currently, her lab focuses on understanding coding and non-coding viral RNA, structure, function, and regulation. All right. Well, thanks for talking with us today. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, so hello, uh, my name is Joanna Stubasolinska. I am an assistant professor uh, in the Department of Biological Sciences at Auburn University. Uh, I come from Poland, from Bydgoszcz, Poland. Uh, I came to the United States 17 years ago. And since then, I've been studying viruses with passion, and to be exact, RNA, all the viruses, their structure, function, and regulation. Great. And can you tell us sort of back when you were younger, when did you first become interested in science and then virology? Uh, interested in science, I was always interested in science. Uh, I recall going through my grandma's books of uh, human anatomy and scribbling, scrabbling on them. So I, I remember that it's been a passion of mine since the beginning. Uh, with viruses, being interested in viruses, I recall that uh, sometime in high school, I went to the library and I found this book about HIV. That was the only book that I could find about viruses. And I remember being absolutely fascinated by the complex structure of the virus and the fact that it's not really alive, yet it behaves kind of like the life. And it can be such a devastating, uh, you know, entity causing the disease that basically takes off uh, somebody's life. I remember that that happened in high school. Cool. And can you describe then a little bit your journey through sort of your undergrad, graduate, postdoc, sort of how did you, where did you go? How did you choose those places? Um, that kind of a thing. So I received my first master's degree in biotechnology in my home city in Bydgoszcz, Poland. And right after that, I applied to graduate school uh, in, in the United States, and I did my second master's degree and PhD at Northern Illinois University. Um, after that, I started applying for a postdoctoral positions all over the United States, and I was lucky to uh, find a position at NIH and CI. And this is where I did my first uh, uh, postdoctoral fellow position, and that was followed by research fellow position. And finally, in the end, after more or less five years, I was offered a staff scientist position at NIH. Um, and uh, I studied uh, RNA, viral RNA, uh, its structure and function using different viral systems from um, HIV, actually, to dengue viruses. 
I was uh, lucky to have a collaboration with NIH, NIAID, and uh, I received a training and certification to work in BSL-4. There I worked with uh, Ebola, chikungunya, and other uh, selective agents. Um, and after about six years being in the DC area, so to speak, I applied to academic positions and um, basically I received an opportunity to become an assistant professor at Auburn University. Okay, great. And then can you tell us then a little bit about your lab? I guess sort of some of the big picture sort of questions you're trying to um, answer, and then maybe some of the techniques that you use in your lab to sort of address those questions. Okay, so we are studying uh, a viral RNA, coding and uncoding RNA, how its structure pertains to its function, and how it is regulated by post-transcriptional or epitranscriptomic modifications. Uh, the techniques that we usually use in my lab is shape and shape map, which is a uh, biochemical probing technique that allows to solve the secondary structure of the RNA inside the cells, inside the virions, also uh, as an in vitro transcript. Once we have those structures, we want uh, to basically ask a question, which of these structures are important for uh, viral RNA and, and for the virus itself, for its infectivity, for progeny virion production, uh, for replication, and so on. Epitranscriptomic modifications are sort of an additional layer to that story. Um, they make the RNA even more complex than it really is because uh, they can actually completely change the structure of the RNA. They can affect interactions of the RNA with other RNAs, with other proteins. So we are focusing on this very abundant but very mysterious uh, modification that is called a pseudouridine um, that has been discovered seven decades ago, but not much is known about that particular modification, especially in the context of viral RNA. So uh, we found that one of the RNAs that we are interested in is decorated with that modification. And we want to not only identify where it is, how frequently it occurs, but also what it does. And that's what it does is the most um, sort of difficult aspect to address because uh, those modifications, they are installed by uh, cellular machinery. And oftentimes people kind of question whether they're not sort of uh, a side effect of the virus being in a cellular environment. So proving their functionality is the key to basically address their importance for the viral replication. Right, right. And can you kind of maybe speak a little bit more generally about um, how RNA viruses in particular, because they have sort of limited coding capacity, why they have to use their RNA, just not just for translation, but for many of these other functions that you're talking about. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. Viruses, that's one of the reasons why we actually study viral RNA, because it's so complex. It needs to accommodate all these functions from replication, transcription, translation. And because of its limited coding capacity, um, it has to do it in kind of intricate ways. And uh, that involves basically folding in these complex structure, complex motifs that on top of its uh, secondary and tertiary fold, 
can be regulated by these epitranscriptomic modifications. And many viruses use these tricky strategies to expand their coding capacity from, uh, let's say, folding into a pseudonaut structures that regulate expression of one open reading frame versus the other one, uh, regulating the ratio of uh, that those proteins expression. They use um, these very complex structures to support recombination, for example, example. Uh, oftentimes, these structures are sort of a hotspot of recombination. That, that was actually a, a topic of my PhD. Uh, that, that's why I'm kind of passionate about that. Um, so truly, the structure of the viral RNA is something that dictates uh, the capacity, much, much larger capacity uh, to code and to function. Right. And then can you talk a little bit of the about why that presents challenges, as you were saying, to try and identify precisely what a pseudonaut or a particular modification actually does, because there are often three or four things that that nucleotide, in a way, could be doing. How do you actually show that, you know, that particular modification or that particular nucleotide is important for one thing without affecting all the others? Indeed, because of these modifications and structures are oftentimes regulated by cellular enzymes, it is not easy to address their functionality. Imagine this, naturally, if, if you want to study a given nucleotide or, or its modification, and you are lucky and you identify an enzyme that is responsible for that modification, the very first thing you, you would do is basically knock out or knock down that enzyme. But those enzymes, they oftentimes uh, have other functionalities, not just that catalytic modification that I install, but uh, sometimes they associate with a given RNA and do completely different, stabilize that RNA, uh, support its folding. On top of that, if you knock down that particular enzyme, you will affect other cellular processes. So uh, the, the, the effect you will see might not be just the effect of the knocking down that particular modification, but also knocking down the enzyme that affects other cellular important processes. So to compensate for that pleiotropic effect that you may see, you have to also, uh, let's say, modify a given residue. But oops, then we are getting into changing one nucleotide into another nucleotide, which will affect the structure of the RNA. So truly, again, it's a question of, did we actually uh, remove a given modification or did we affect the entire structure of the RNA, therefore its function? So oftentimes we have to have at least two approaches like that uh, in order to get to that consensus answer. It is not easy task to accomplish. I see. So you try and get basically a couple of techniques to agree on the answer to kind of say with the totality of this, we think that this is the function of the. Absolutely. You have to approach it from the perspective of the RNA itself, but also from that cellular enzymatic approach in order to find a consensus answer. And then can you discuss a little bit whether understanding sort of these different uh, modifications or functions, does that tell us anything about how RNA functions like the host RNA? Does it actually give insight into other sort of cellular processes that are actually going on in mammalian or other hosts? 
Absolutely. Uh, so there are many aspects of that. Oftentimes when viruses infect the cell, they not only decorate their RNA with these epitranscriptomic modifications to kind of hide themselves from the cellular immune response, but also they dysregulate the cellular processes to sort of seal these enzymes. So that oftentimes results in lowering of epitranscriptomic modifications on other cellular messenger RNAs. So uh, viral infection truly kind of uh, throws a uh, kind of a wreck in a cellular environment. And epitranscriptomic processes are one of the things that are completely dysregulated. Uh, viruses kind of usurp that, those mechanisms to hide from the immune response, but at the same time, they kind of destroy the homeostasis that is there uh, as a basically a consequence. Right, right. And can you tell us then a little bit about your lab? So how long have you been an assistant professor? Um, what has the last two years been like trying to um, be doing research? Um, you know, do you have graduate students, postdocs? Like what are, who are the people that are in your lab? How's that going? So I've been assistant professor uh, at Auburn University for five years. I currently have two PhD students and a postdoctoral fellow and a bunch of undergraduate students that help with different aspects of graduate students and postdocs proposals. Um, the last two years have not been that great uh, because of obviously a pandemic that affected uh, quite a bit uh, the, the progress of the research. Um, unfortunately, some of my students uh, were sick. Actually, one of my students literally got um, diagnosed uh, with COVID uh, last week. Uh, so uh, it is an ongoing pandemic. Nothing has changed. We are all, of course, vaccinated, boosted, and all of that. But um, Oh, we still get sick. Thankfully, we don't end up in a hospital. So uh, last two years were difficult, but we are continuing uh, our research despite the issues. Um, the most, I would say, detrimental aspect of the pandemic was the fact that we couldn't get in person with other scientists to exchange the knowledge and skill, to, to basically exchange ideas, to look into other people's research and share our research. So having an opportunity to finally participate in an in-person meeting is uh, absolutely critical for students, for postdocs. Networking is important for assistant professor to build in those uh, connections, uh, collaborations. Nothing happens in just one lab. Nowadays, we need those collaborations we need to talk with, with each other. And uh, unfortunately, pandemic hindered that uh, quite a bit. The good thing is that we got more accustomed to online meetings like Zoom and MS Teams and other uh, resources. So that social media sort of kept us going, but there is nothing like in-person meeting. Nothing is going to replace that, that's for sure. Right, right. And speaking of that, I believe you're talking at the Satellite Symposium. So could you just give us a brief uh, uh, overview of what you're going to be talking about? I will be actually talking about uh, the pseudouridine modification of uh, the long non-coding RNA coded by Kaposi sarcoma associated herpes virus. I will be talking about its localization, stichiometry, um, and the ways we want to uh, apply to resolve its functionality in the context of that particular RNA biology, but also in the context of viral infection. So that will be a main subject of uh, my, my talk. 
Great. And can you tell us a little bit about Kaposi's sarcoma virus? So I think that's not, um, I don't think I've interviewed someone that actually works on that virus. So can you talk, talk a little bit about it? So this is a DNA virus, it's an oncogenic virus that causes different kinds of uh, malignancies in immunocompromised people, especially HIV infected people. Uh, if uh, anybody have ever seen an uh, HIV infected person sort of developing AIDS disease, uh, at some point in the patient's life, you can develop these uh, sarcomas on the skin, like a darker patches. Uh, this is a result of actually a secondary infection with Kaposi sarcoma associated herpes virus. Um, KSHV is sort of an endemic virus in uh, Mediterranean regions. It's actually uh, responsible for about 50% of cancers in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, it is also quite uh, causing quite prevalent infections in people after transplant, transplant so basically immunocompromised people. Um, this particular virus, just like herpes, all herpes viruses, is uh, absolutely fascinating because herpes viruses have been evolving with people since the beginning. They are the most sophisticated viruses ever because basically they infect us, stay with us for the rest of our life, and we are absolutely fine most of the time. And sometimes when triggered by stress or by some unknown conditions, they can reemerge and cause the disease. So they are very interesting viruses to study. They have two phases of infections, latent, when they stay quiet, they basically hide in nerves and, and they kind of survey the immune response with their microRNAs or lonocardial RNAs. And once they sort of know that uh, the cell is kind of weakened, then they go into a lytic reactivation and that results in a, a replication and progeny virion production and spread. So they're kind of a smart uh, viral system. They're also, and their genome is also quite big. So they're very difficult to manipulate and study. They're, they have lots of genes. Um, those genes oftentimes overlap. The transcripts are produced in sense and anti-sense orientation. They're spliced. So it, it's uh, not an easy system to study, but that's why it's so fascinating. And um, the work that you're describing, um, what are some, some of the major techniques that you're using? Is this like the shape or uh, that you were discussing before or are you using other techniques? Oh, we use a plethora of techniques. So shape would address uh, just the secondary structure of a given RNA. But uh, like I said, there is another layer to it, which is uh, transcriptomic modifications. Uh, these we mapped uh, you know, with next generation sequencing techniques um, and chemical modifications of the RNA that basically cause the reverse transcriptase to stop uh, at the site of modification. And that allows us to identify those sites. We are also studying uh, RNA protein interactions, uh, which were trained to their function that we use, with, uh, we basically use a method that is called RNA antisense purification with mass spectrometry. And then traditional molecular biology techniques from Western bloods, Northern bloods, RT, uh, RT reaction, PCR, quantitative PCR. So all the typical molecular biology techniques that uh, run labs forever. <laughs> right, right. And then um, I guess just looking into sort of the future, what are your plans sort of like in the medium term, long term? What are you interested in studying? Mm -hmm. So in general, I've been always fascinated 
with not only a structure of the RNA, but its modification. But pseudouridine is just one of about 170 of those. And what's more, pseudouridines can be modified even further into a metal pseudouridines and more. Um, I would be interested to not only uh, address the functionality of that particular modification, but also how that particular modification cooperates or collaborates uh, with other modifications. They all exist at the same time. They maybe, maybe not. Maybe one outcompetes the other one. Maybe they, uh, they, you know, they are sort of antagonistic. Maybe they actually are synergistic and they affect the RNA and uh, the viral infectivity cycle in a different way. These are questions that are not addressed really in the field. Also knowing what is the fraction of a modification. And we, we are talking about one single transcript, but truly there are millions copies of that transcript. Some of them are modified, some of them are not. And lastly, what reads these modifications? There are no known um, pseudouridine readers or proteins that recognize a bind of pseudouridine and fulfill its function. Like with M6A modifications, which is another very abundant modification, we know those readers, writers, and eraser. For pseudouridine, nothing is known. So it's been so abundant, it's actually second most abundant after M6A, and nothing is known. So I, I want to address a global pseudorenylation uh, regulation of the RNA and viral infectivity by pseudorenylation. Great. Well, thanks so much for talking with us today. And we look forward to hearing about your work at ASV. Um, sounds very interesting. Um, and thanks for talking with us. Thank you again. This has been Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thackray, and thanks for listening. You can find us on Google, Apple, Amazon Music, and other podcast providers, or at lmtv.podbean.com.